How blessed we are. What a great worship team. So good to see you. Good to see Brother Willie back with us. We have missed you, Brother Willie. And then we got Miss Donnie back with us. It is a good day. And then also, our, uh, our missionaries are completing their missionary journey. And uh, they have been traveling all over the Gulf, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know how hard it is, probably a pretty easy missionary trip, but they ought to be docking soon and headed back this way. And so we can't wait to have uh, them back with us, miss them greatly. Uh, if you have your Bible, please go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue to study together, we're in our series on the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are a part of the Sermon on the Mount. There are, of course, eight Beatitudes. The first four reflect our relationship to God, and the last four reflect our relationship towards others. These Beatitudes serve and they show us what we ought to be as believers. What should our life look like? What should characterize me as a man of God? What should characterize you as a man or a woman of God? Each one begins with the word blessed. Now blessed means happy, but more than just happy, it means content. It means satisfied. It means that we are at peace. It's different than the happiness of the world. Happiness of the world is fleeting. It is fickle. It is here one moment and gone the next. It is entirely based upon circumstances. When something good happens in our life, we're happy. When something bad happens in our life, we're not happy. But in the Beatitudes, we see how we can live in a state of joy, a state of blessedness, a state of peace, and a state of security. Now, you'll notice as we look through that they are like a paradox, that they don't make a lot of sense to us. We expect that Jesus would come and he would say, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the rich, blessed are the mighty, blessed are the strong. We understand these, we like these qualities, but Jesus comes and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. And we say, wait a minute, this does not make a lot of sense to me. Look at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to let you stay seated because we're going to look at several. I'm going to talk in between and not have you stand the whole time. But look at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. So I picture that Jesus is around one day, and he looks up, and he sees a crowd of people. Everywhere he looks, he sees all these people. And maybe he begins to feel some compassion on them because he looks at them, and they're a lot like we are. They're going through their life, and they're trying to find purpose. They're trying to find meaning. They're trying to find happiness and satisfaction. And maybe they're trying to find it in power. Maybe they're trying to find it through wealth and accumulation. Maybe they're trying to find it through more things, nicer things they can grab onto. But it always leaves them empty. It, it never quite 
reaches. It, it doesn't fit. And so they're continually looking for more and more and more, and they can't find a sense of happiness in their life. We see that around us today. Most people are not happy. Most people are not satisfied. They're longing for more. There's a void. There's an emptiness. And so they're searching for more, but it seems as though they can never quite reach it. And so Jesus, maybe he's seeing this in the crowd, and so he, he sits down and he calls the people to him, and he begins to teach. He looks out, and what they're doing is not working. I don't know about you guys, but the church, we shut down the last couple days of the week for the ice. We just figured if everybody else is going to shut down, we will also. And so we had some extra time. And so last couple of days, I've been building a desk for my boys. They wanted a desk to do their schoolwork on. And so I've been building this desk and I made these two ends and got them all constructed and sanded down and stained. But then yesterday I started working on the top. And so I got the top ready and I took it out and I started to sand on the top. And uh, I started sanding because there were these rough spots and I want it to be smooth. And as I was sanding, I noticed that it's not going very quickly. It's going real slow. So I think, well, I've got 80 grit sandpaper. That ought to be good. It ought to be working. Maybe I'm just rushing too much. I'm a pretty impatient guy. I like things to happen quickly. So I said, let me just slow down. And so I slowed down. I started moving that, that orbit sander real slow and well, maybe the wood is just really hard. And so I, I flipped the board over and started working on this side. And I was getting a little bit irritated because I've got things to do. I want to move on, but it's just, it's not working. I still see these imperfections in the wood. What I'm doing is not working. After a little bit, I, I took my sander off and I looked and I noticed that my sanding pad had fallen off. And so I, probably for 15 minutes, I was sanding on this wood top and I was not sanding anything. It could be. It could be that that's a picture of our life. We're working. We're doing things. We're moving. We're putting our energy to action. But it's not working. We're trying to put the pieces together. We're trying to find this joy, contentment, purpose, satisfaction. But on our own efforts, it's like the sandpaper fell off and we're just rubbing on the wood. And so Jesus says, let me tell you how you can reach more. Let me tell you how you can be satisfied. Let me tell you how you can live a life of blessings. And he begins to lay it out. Number one, he says, you'll look there in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our poverty before God. It is fundamental in our spiritual walk. It's the very first thing that happens as we seek a relationship with God. You cannot be filled until you're empty. You cannot be saved until you realize that you cannot do it on your own. There's a world of people out here and they're trying to find salvation on their own merits. They're trying to be good enough, go to church enough, give enough money, be a nice person thinking that they can be good enough on their own. But listen to me, it will never work. Our best is not enough. It's like filthy rags. And so starting point is to be poor in spirit. You cannot be worthwhile until you're worthless. You can't be filled until you're empty. The poor realize they cannot please God. Until we are poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. 
Until we realized how damned we are, we cannot appreciate how glorious he is. Until we see our poverty, we'll never understand his riches. And so we've got to understand where we are. I am nothing. I have nothing to offer God. I cannot save myself. You cannot save yourself. It will never be enough. Listen to me. Religion will never work. Somebody say amen. Religion will never work. It's never going to be enough. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord offers comfort to our mourning, but more than a general grief, there's this mourning over our sinful condition. When you realize that you can't do it, when you're poor in spirit, automatically you begin to see your sin and you realize how wretched we are. And instead of living in sin, instead of carrying on in sin, we begin to mourn our sin. We are convicted by the sin that is in our life. And so he says, blessed is the one who mourns, for he shall be comforted. That comfort comes through repentance to the forgiveness of our sin. Again, it's the the progress of salvation. We realize we're nothing, and then we realize that we are sinful, sinful folks. And we have broken the law of God, and because of that, the wages of sin is death. And that leads us to our beatitude this morning, beatitude number three. Look there in verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. I want you to see it in your text. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Just like the first two, this is a, a strange statement. And those listening, they would not have liked this. They don't want to be meek. They want power, might, and strength. They do not want meekness. And I'll tell you why. In the year 63 BC, the Jewish people lost their independence. They were no longer a free nation, and now they were under the oppression of the mighty Romans. The great Roman Empire stretched all the way across Europe and Asia, and the Jews were under this control. We see a framework of this national bondage to the Romans. The Jews had long been awaiting the kingdom of God to come. They were waiting on the Messiah who would come and establish his kingdom upon the earth. He would set up this promised kingdom of which the prophets of old had spoken of. Their anticipation of this kingdom would grow as their oppression got stronger and stronger. And so the tighter the Romans held control, the more they longed for the kingdom that was to come. And then Jesus appeared on the scene. And they saw Jesus, and Jesus came, and he said something like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they got excited. They watched as Jesus came and he spoke like no man had ever spoken before. He was a leader like no one had ever led before. They were drawn to him. They began to see the way that he would perform miracles. And he would help the sick and the needy, the outcast. He would provide food in these miraculous ways. He was a a man of great leadership and great authority. And they saw that in their, their anticipation it grew. Their excitement was risen, and they said, could this be him? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we have been waiting for for so long? 
It looks like this is the one that has been promised throughout the Old Testament. And they saw him. They longed for him. They wanted his leadership. They wanted him to come and be a great military leader that would drive the Romans out. They wanted him to come in power and do these mighty deeds so they could have their kingdom on the earth. They got excited. But then Jesus began to talk in a way they didn't like. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He began to focus not so much on politics, but on what a man is on the inside. And as that changed, their allegiance began to change also. And they said, if you're not going to work the way I want you to work, then I'm going to go the other way. And they began to continue in their fighting, in their bickering. The zealots would find a Roman leader, take him down an alley and, and kill him, and then run away. And eventually, the Romans were fed up with it. And in the year 70 AD, they came in and they killed over a million Jews. And there was bloodshed all over the streets. Why? Because they wanted it their way, they didn't want it the, day, the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't come in and say, blessed are the strong and the powerful and the mighty. Blessed are those who are independent. He came and he said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. It's a shocking message. They didn't want it. It's not what they wanted to hear. Their expectations are dashed at this point. And if we're honest... We don't like this message either. We live in this culture and in this society where we view success by our power and our might. We're intent on our self-promotion. Be all that you can be. Reach your dreams. Reach your accomplishments at all costs. Your ambitions, you've got to reach them. You've got to step on whoever you have to to get to the top. Don't let the world run over you. You've got to go out there and you've got to get yours. You've got to take a stand. You've got to be strong. If someone does you wrong, you better tell them about it. Let people know how you feel. Your opinion matters. You're important. It's all about you. This is your life. You have one shot. You have one chance. Make it count. That's what the world teaches us. Don't be a pushover. Give that person a piece of your mind. If you don't think it's fair, let them know it. Stand up for yourself. These are the values the world teaches us, and we get on board with those. But Jesus comes, and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Something we need to consider. It does not come natural. Meekness, it does not come naturally to me. It probably does not come naturally to you either. So what does the word mean? Well, if you look it up in the dictionary, It'll lead you astray. Meek is defined as deficient in spirit and courage. A deficiency of spirit and courage. The word in the Greek that's used here, actually it means to be mild, to be gentle, and to be soft. When we're talking about meekness, we're talking about someone who does not assert themselves, someone who is not consumed with his or her own agenda. Can I just be honest? You know what one of our problems is? My problem. I'll just speak to me, okay, until you wake up this morning. You know what my problem is? I'm selfish. I mean, I just, I am just naturally such a selfish, selfish individual. And meekness and being selfish, they never coexist. They don't go together. 
If we're going to live our life and we're going to be selfish, then we will not be meek in our spirit. The person who is broken over his condition, the person who mourns over the sin in their life is not about to assert their self. So when we're talking about meekness, we're talking about a willing submission to God. It stands in contrast to a stubborn, willful, rebellious, self-centered, natural man. It's an opposition to this prideful arrogance that says it's all about me and what I want and my desires in my life. Meekness means I put myself out of the way. It means that I die to myself. It's not weakness. You see, it doesn't mean that we're weak. It does not mean that we are timid. We're called to have power but to have power under the control of God. It's not a person who has yielded his strength. All the strength is there is this not self-asserted strength. Submission to God is meekness. It's the taming of the lion. It's not the killing of the lion. The lion is just as strong, just as powerful, just as mighty, but he's under the control of his leader. Now listen, you say, how does this apply? Glad you asked. Here's how it applies. The first two have been the beginning stages of salvation, and this one continues. What is meekness? It means that I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that starting on point to where I submit myself, I surrender myself, I hold my hands open, and I say, Lord, all that I am is yours. It's not about my hopes, my dreams, my plan, my aspiration, but my life is yours. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Do we live that way? Lord, I've been, I've been bought with a price. My body is not my own. My life is not my own. My drive, my desire, my ambition is to glorify you. Whatever I can do in my life to glorify you, that's what I want to do. And, and we sometimes think, case okay, is getting a little too far out there on this message. He's talking about these super Christians. He's talking about these fanatics who are way out to the side. But this is the call of salvation. This is the call for me. It's the call for you. Every one of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, this is the expectation, the calling of our life to truly submit to him. Let me, let me show you that. Let me prove that to you. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, you're in Matthew, you're close to it. Flip over a little bit further. Go to Luke chapter 14. I want to show you what Jesus says about discipleship. The idea I'm presenting is that meekness is foundational to salvation. Every one of us are called to meekness. Meekness means that we submit and we surrender. Now let's see what Jesus says. Luke 14, look at verse 26. Surrounded by a crowd of eager followers, Jesus turns and he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's, there's a group of people, and they're on the fence. They're trying to decide if they want to follow Jesus or if they shouldn't follow Jesus. And so Jesus sets the standard. He sets the bar, if you will, and he says this. If you want to follow me, you've got to hate everything that you hold dear. 
In other words, your love, your commitment, your devotion to me has got to be so high that everything else seems like a hate. Now, that's a high calling, isn't it? That's not this idea that we sign a card and we go back to our life as normal. It is a total transformation of life. Look at verse 27. He continues. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So now he goes a step further and he says, be willing to put an instrument of death on your back. Strap a cross to your back. In other words, he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to die for it. That's total surrender. That's totally, it's not about me, but it's about you. It's total submission. And then he moves on to verse 33. And he says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, so what is that? That is meekness. It means that I am yielding all that I am to the Lord. I am living for him. Another example is found in Mark chapter 10. This rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he comes with excitement on his face, and he says this, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Lord, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved. How do I do it? And if you're in a Baptist church at that time, the preacher smiles. This is exciting. He prays. He gives a card. We go through the baptism waters. Everything's good. Everything's done. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus looks at this rich, powerful young man who's ready to be saved, and he says this, Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, underline it, then come and follow me. All right, you want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? Go and sell all you've got, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It's going to cost you something. Again, what do we see? We see meekness. We see submission. What do we not see? We don't see this part-time Christian life. That's what we don't see. We don't see this idea that says you can follow Christ when it's easy. We don't see this idea that you can be of the world and of Christ at the same time. What he's presenting is that when we follow Christ, it's all or nothing. I don't know if we can use like a, a poker analogy, but if we can, all the chips have been pushed in the table. Our life has been pushed upon the table, and we say, Lord, all that I've got belongs to you. I'm holding nothing back, because let's be honest, for a lot of us, when we talk our spiritual talk, we have so much that we'll give to God, but we also have so much that we hold back. Lord, I'll give you this much, but I won't give you this much. I'll give you Sunday morning, not Sunday evening. I'll give you a percentage of my income, but not any more of it. I'll give you so much of my time, but not anymore. I'll give you some of my friends, but not all my friends. I'll give you up to this point, but once it gets up to this point, then everything changes. But when Jesus is talking about his followers, he says, you've got to go all the way in. There's no picking and choosing. It's not a buffet line that we get to just carouse through and decide what we might want. He said the same things to his disciples in Matthew 4 when he said, follow me. That follow me, it means to abandon your, your comforts. 
Abandon your, your career. Abandon your possession and your family and your friends. Abandon yourself for what? For uncertainty, for difficulty, because you know that he is worth it. We're talking about this power that's under control, and listen to me. If we claim that we're Christians, if we claim that we've been saved, this is going to characterize our life. It's not about me any longer, but it's about him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we're going to wrap up soon, but look over at Psalm 37. There's a good Old Testament connection. I want, to, I want you to see where this comes from. Look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37, we're going to begin in verse 3. He says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, look, pay attention, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. The Beatitude says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here we see the connection. And if you notice the verses prior, what he's talking about is meekness. He says it's those who, in verse 3, they trust the Lord. Verse 4, they delight in the Lord. Verse 5, they commit their way to the Lord. Verse 7, they rest in the Lord. Verse 8, they do not fret. Verse 9, they wait upon him. Is that true of your life? Do you trust? Look at me. Do you trust in God? Do you have that faith that you trust him? No matter what's going on around you, no matter your circumstances, you trust him because you believe in him. You know that he's going to work for you. He's going to work on your behalf. Do you delight in him? I don't think you can fully surrender unless you find your delight in the Lord. A lot of us, we get so caught up in religious activity, and it becomes so action-based. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Do we delight in God? Do we enjoy him? Do we enjoy the relationship? John Piper said, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. When I'm satisfied in God, I find my contentment in God. Then I'm going to be meek because I'm going to realize it's not about me, but it's all about him. And I think we miss that in our churches today. We miss this idea of, I, I just love the Lord. Love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the main thing that matters. It is the greatest commandment. Love him with all that you are. Because then it's not a list of things I've got to do, but it's a list of things I get to do. 
When I love the Lord, I don't have to come to church on a Sunday morning. I get to come to church on a Sunday morning. When I love the Lord, I don't have to share my faith. I'm excited and I get to share my faith. When I love the Lord, I don't have to read my Bible, but I can't wait to dive in and learn more from it because it changes my life. You see, one of the key elements of meekness is finding our delight and our satisfaction in the things of God. And so he gives us this idea. Let me just give you a disclaimer as we try to shut down. Meekness is not cowardice. Meekness is not this idea of being timid. You know who in the Bible is described as meek? Meek among his generation, Moses. Moses is described as a meek man. Now, when you think of Moses, what do you think of? I think of him going up and standing toe-to-toe to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And when Pharaoh says, no, the plagues are coming, I'll see you tomorrow. And he comes back the next day, and he stands, and he confronts the most powerful man of the day, and he stands there with strength. And then after all the plagues are done, he leads the Israelites out of their bondage, and they go on this journey And they come to the waters, and he stands there in great faith, a great leader, and he holds it out, and the waters part, and he leaves the people on dry land. He's he's labeled as meek, but he was strong. He was powerful. He was a mighty, mighty leader. But if you go back to when he was called, he was not strong in himself. He said, "But, but God, I don't speak very well. God, I've got a speech problem. I'm not the best leader. I've got these problems. Surely you can use someone else. But when God says, I want to use you, he goes up and he's not confident in himself. Listen to me. He's confident in God. That's what meekness is. It doesn't mean that we're timid. It doesn't mean that we walk around like this. It means we stand boldly because we know the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and gives us the power and the strength to do amazing things. It's not pride, it's not arrogance, but it's depending upon God and saying, God, use me. Everything I've got, all of my gifts, talents, abilities, whatever it is, I'm yielding that to you. I'm giving that to you. That's meekness. You say, well, who else do we see meekness in? Jesus? We see it in Jesus. Over and over again, if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to be meek. Brother Leroy read this. I'm just going to read it in more context. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humility. He let them beat him. He let them drive the nails in his hands and his feet. He let them put a crown of thorns upon his head. He could have called legions of angels at any moment, but he surrendered to the will of the Father. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
there's meekness. You want to be like Christ? It's got to show itself in meekness and surrender. Well, what happens? What does it mean? They shall inherit the earth. They wanted a kingdom in the here and in the now. But if we follow Jesus, we get a kingdom so much better. One day, there's going to be an earthly kingdom. There's going to be a thousand-year reign. And on that, our inheritance is going to be a part of that kingdom. So he's saying this, you want to, you want to be blessed? You want to have peace? You want to be secure in your life? You want a piece of the kingdom? You get it by meekness. You get it by surrendering to the Lord. You get it by yielding yourself and saying, it's not about me. Lord, it's all about you. Let me ask you to close your eyes. I want you to think about it in your life. In your life, would you be characterized as a meek individual? You know this. You might fool those around you, but you know this. In your life, do you recognize that apart from the grace of God, the power of God, you cannot be saved? You cannot enter his kingdom. Do you know that? You realize that all your gifts, all your talents, all of your abilities, they are from him. Do you respond humbly and obediently to the word? Are you more concerned about yourself or about the Lord? Are you more concerned about the purpose of God or your own ambitions? Are we meek as a body of believers? Or on the other hand, are we prideful, arrogant, and selfish? During this invitation, there's, there's really two things that I think speak from it. Number one, the realization that each of these Beatitudes, they are a call to salvation. What I've given you this morning is the gospel message. To be saved, it means that we submit. It means that we surrender. It means that we give everything to the Lord. And maybe you're here and you've been doing religion, but you've never truly been saved. You've never given him everything, and today he's calling you to salvation. I hope you'll respond. But it could be that you're here and you know that you're saved. There's no doubt about that in your, your heart, but you've not been living in meekness. You've been living selfishly in pride and arrogance. And so the Lord's calling you to submit. Hold nothing back. Let go and let God. Give him everything. Trust him. Have faith. Realize that his plan is better than yours. That's the call this morning. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that you've spoken through your word. And I pray that we are receptive. We'll respond in every way you lead. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. The altars are opened. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith.